Well, this morning we arrive at parts of God's Word that seem difficult to our ears, uh, difficult to our hearts to receive. Um, The words discipline and uh, pain and reprove and chastise are all words that our hearts receive with a shudder, um, if not despising them, throwing them away possibly or being tempted to do so and praying they never come back. Well, here they are before us, and I shudder a bit in this pulpit, um, and because I desire to, to not only clearly communicate the Word of God to you, as, as I do each and every week, um, strive to, but I want to lift up our weary hearts. Um, I don't want to communicate in a way that might cause you not to lift your drooping, what does it say, drooping hands. Um, and strengthen your weak knees, but, but, uh, but to like cause crushing to happen. And there's a weight that I feel this morning, and I don't want to add to that. I would like to, by God's grace, relieve and give you joy amid the sorrows that you experience. I know that there are many people hurting in some way this morning, people who are struggling with illness, people who are struggling with disease, people who are struggling with, with hurts, with past and present traumas that they've experienced, and or grief, others who are not able to make ends meet financially. Um, the issues go on and on. So speaking on the Lord's discipline and the Lord's reproof and the Lord's chastising can seem problematic, even possibly distasteful, and can bring up all sorts of erroneous thoughts about God and His relationship with you and I. But still, as we spoke of last week, these, these are the words of God to us. These are our very life. These, these words, these specific words that we have for this morning are meant by God to strengthen us, to give us true life, true contentment, rest, joy, peace, all of those things. And so may, as Cale mentioned, as Dan mentioned, as uh, Paula mentioned just in her reading, that we would properly understand, that we would sit in this as God's Word, His authoritative Word. Perhaps you've been walking through pain, um, currently going through them maybe, or, or, or one day you will go through some sort of pain. The path of obedience to the Lord brings with it much hardship, much difficulty, much loneliness, and, and grief. Albeit intermixed with joy unspeakable and filled with glory, we know these things to be true, but real hardship. The Apostle Paul himself was not uh, unaccustomed to difficulty, was he? All you have to read is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28 to see just a snapshot of some of the hardships that he endured. The path of obedience is marked by many tribulations, and, and those tribulations that we experience, those hardships, tempt us to become weary and distrustful and to go into hiding. tempt us to lose heart, start believing wrong thoughts about God, threatens, really threatens to strip us of our faith in God. The hardship and the pain and the swirling questions that many of you I know this morning, either watching on live stream or here this morning, they threaten to undo you. 
that the pain experienced is tough enough, but the questions that those pains induce in our minds about God and, and about reality make it a thousand times worse. And in order to endure, and to order, in order not just to simply endure, but to walk in, in hope, we need help. We need divine help. We need the help of the Spirit. We need the help of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we need to hear from God's Word this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and, and Hebrews 12 is in your Bible to help us towards doing just that. That is enduring, and enduring with hope. Solomon warned his son to uh, prepare his son for the eventual hardships that would come his way and to warn him of being mindful of how he thinks about God amid the hardship. And then, of course, the people that the author of Hebrews is speaking to, I mean, they've grown weary through significant trials. There, there was their own struggle against sin. There was their, son, their, their struggle against um, resisting temptation. There was the persecution that had come against them, so the sin against them by all sorts of people. There were internal stressors and, and external stresses pressures that made them feel weary and, and made them doubt and wonder if they should just give up their faith in Jesus. They needed endurance, and so do you and I today. And so looking at the first couple of verses, and part of the reason why I wanted to move back into the first couple of verses of Hebrews 12 is so that we could see the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews, of the Holy Spirit, particularly for followers of Christ, to run this race live this life with endurance. And then as we move along in the text, we'd see the exhortation to entrust themselves to a faithful, loving God. And if you, if you uh, consider Solomon's exhortation to his son in Proverbs chapter 3, he's reminding him to not grow weary. So there's the same, same kind of thing going on, to not grow weary or, or to come to a place where you despise the Lord's discipline, which many do today, to endure instead, to trust the loving, faithful heart of God. So that's the message that we come to today, namely, specifically this, that there is grace. There's grace to endure the hardships you face in this life. There is grace to endure Every single hardship that you face in this life as you placed your trust in the incontestable love and faithfulness of God for you. Now, I know that that, that is a long sentence, and that sentence is like a, well, okay, sure. Absolutely, 100% true. The Holy Spirit did not inspire those specific words necessarily, but these words we come to today in the text to instill more wonder of God, more, not, not, not just more wondering about God, but more wonder, like an awe of God and His ways. And, and yes, real vibrant hope in life that comes from truly knowing the Lord, as we spoke about last week, really knowing Him, knowing all about, like knowing as much as He has given us to know about Him, to know Him, and to, to walk in obedience to Him, and to understand the fear of the Lord, that you and I would truly endure and not lose heart as we walk the difficult paths of this life. Now, there are two main exhortations that I want us to consider this morning from the two texts that Paula read. The first is this. You, you can endure the hardships in this life by fixing your gaze on the example of the Son, S-O-N, Jesus. And then second, you can endure the hardships of this life by trusting the heart of our Father. Let's start by looking at it you can endure the hardships in this life by fixing your gaze on the example of the Son. 
In the second verse of Hebrews 12, the speaker tells his, uh, his listeners that they can endure by looking to Jesus, fixing their eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross. He himself endured the cross. And then in verse 3, the author states, consider him, not just look at him, but consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Now, you, you read that and we say such hostility. It's such hostility, evil, 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 such hostility against him so that, so we consider the hostility that he experienced so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider means to give serious thought, careful thought, meditative thought, not fleeting thoughts, careful thought. We study the sufferings of Jesus. We, we study all of the sufferings of Jesus with much detail, not because we're masochistic, but because there is life there. There's an understanding there. There's considering Jesus who endured such hostility that is meant to free us and meant to cause us to not grow weary and, and not lose heart. And, and, and we are weary, are we not? At, at various times, we are weary in this life, so we don't want to grow weary or faint-hearted, so consider giving careful thought to Christ Jesus and His sufferings. We gain perspective on our own suffering when we consider His suffering. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we find more than a few specific statements like, like this, for it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now that in itself is worthy of a, a sermon, but, but you see the suffering that Jesus is enduring. He's, he's got to walk through suffering. Or, or Hebrews 4.15 that says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who was tempted as we are yet without sin. So, so we are tempted. We are weary of our temptations. We are weary of those coming at us all the time. Jesus endured. Jesus never gave in to temptation. Fully God, fully man. He understands to the nth degree the sin that we struggle with to the third degree. In the days of his flesh, he says, Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with, listen, this is not like a, just an intermediate kind of statement, with loud cries and tears. He was really a man. He, loud cries and tears. Not, not, not enjoyable by any means. He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from his death, from death, and he was heard because of his reference. Now, here in chapter 12, it's the humiliation of the cross. In verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It, it, it's a joy, of course, and to sing songs, but the, the resurrection power of King Jesus, and, and certainly Jesus rose from the grave, and certainly Jesus is ruling and reigning, and certainly Jesus is coming back, and there's much to rejoice in. And we come to remind ourselves of this every, every week when we come together to sing of the, the rejoicing realities of the gospel. But this text tells us that we must also consider 
the sufferings of Jesus and how his endurance was lived out amid that suffering. We, we must do that, the text states, that we would find strength to endure. We want to endure? Do you want to endure? Do you want to endure? Do, do, do you want to endure? Do we want to not grow weary and lose heart? Yes, we want to not grow weary and lose heart amid whatever the sorrows are. Well, consider Jesus. We're tired of the pain. We're tired of the sin struggle. We're tired of the sin that's been done against us or is continuing to be done against us. We're sick and tired of the trauma we've experienced or perhaps you've experienced in abusive situations with authoritative pastors or authoritarian pastors or church leaders who break your trust and and live in hypocrisy. I'm tired of it. If that's you, consider Jesus. As you consider Jesus' endurance against sinners, we find strength for endurance for, uh, against our own sin and against the sins of others against us. So followers of Christ Jesus find endurance in the struggle by considering, deeply thinking about, there's, there's no secret to this, it's, it's deeply thinking about, gazing at, beholding, having before them, gazing, focusing, meditating on Christ Jesus and Him crucified. The eternal Son, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our brother and our friend. Jesus himself walked his wearying road before you and he endured all the way to the cross and it is in him where we will find everything necessary to endure. You want to endure? You want to not grow weary? Consider Jesus. And so, along with Psalm 119 from last week, just going to ask you, add, add something to your chunks of reading over the next few weeks. Of those chunks in Psalm 119, add reading the Gospel of John. Slowly working through, considering Jesus. Considering the fact that he was really man, truly God as well, but truly man. He knows your sorrows. He knows your struggles to the nth degree. Add that in that he knows betrayal, doesn't he? He knows abuse. He knows pain. He knows hardship, even death on a cross. And he endured. So that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted. The author of Hebrews then moves on in verse 4 to compare kind of the endurance of Jesus amid all the sin being done against him. There's no sin within him. It's one difference between him and us. But he was obedient all the way even to the point of death. And, and so, so his experience compared to our experience. And he says this in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now earlier in Hebrews, uh, we find that these people had endured a hard struggle. Um, they had a hard struggle with sufferings. They were exposed to reproach and, and affliction. They were, they were imprisoned. They were uh, those who lost their property. But none of them, it seemed, at least at this point, had, had lost their lives. Nevertheless, their lives were being threatened. They were touched by affliction, and it was enough suffering to tempt them to waver, even potentially turn from Jesus, and that was a real concern for the one who is bringing this to bear in a sermon like the Hebrews that we come to today. 
as it was for the father in Proverbs 3 with his son. The reality is that when we suffer in some way along the path of this life in obedience to the Lord, we often would cry out that the pain that we experience is just too much. It's too difficult. And the author of Hebrews, even processing the words of the Father in Proverbs 3, tells us with sympathetic care to consider Jesus who went the absolute distance and endured. He was obedient even to death, even death on a cross. So considering his hardships, knowing he knows the depth of sorrow to the nth degree, he knows pain and torment and betrayal, so much so it was to the point of death, and he who is fully man and fully God endured to the end, knowing that is meant to evoke some sense of hope for endurance in us. Amid our own struggles to really consider the sufferings of Jesus. Now, now what this is not saying is kind of what maybe some of you have heard at different times. It's not the Word of God telling us, look, look your suffering may be bad, but, but it's nothing compared to Jesus, so you just need to suck it up. It's not, it's not what's being said here. The comparison is brought up precisely to cause us to consider the truth that the sufferings we go through in this life are not too much for God. If, if God cared for Jesus in such a way as to in, help him, cause him to endure all the way to the cross, even to the point of death on the cross, he is able to help you endure, cause you to endure your struggle as well. There's, there's hope there. So may these very real sufferings you've walked through or are currently enduring not cause you to quit the race or, or to quit pouring yourself out or sacrificing all for the sake of Christ. My friends, my, my dear loved ones, God is able to get you through whatever suffering comes your way. Consider the depths of Jesus' sufferings, the endurance He exhibited even amid many tears and many sorrows, and the Holy Spirit will help us see our pain with more clarity and give us the grace to endure. So we endure the hardships of this life by considering Jesus, by fixing our gaze on Jesus. May that be true of you and I this week as we endure the hardships that come our way. Now, second point, you can endure the hardships of this life by trusting the heart of our Father. You can endure the hardships of this life by trusting the heart of our Father. The author of Hebrews continues in verse 5. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's pulling from Proverbs 3. Uh, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Now right there in, in Hebrews is the general quote again from Proverbs 3. And here's what Solomon wrote specifically. He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as the father, the son, in whom he delights. Now one thing that many feel keenly amid suffering and difficulty is a wondering if God truly is as loving as he says he is. Um, if he's really true to his promises. And so before we consider anything else this morning, anything to do with discipline, anything to do with chastising or rebuke or whatever, I want us to consider this 
vast, enormous, glorious, foundational truth that we are loved by God. We're loved by God. We are His sons. We are His daughters. The author of Hebrews and Proverbs communicate the the presence of the discipline of God on one's life points out the reality that we truly are His children. We are those whom He delights in. He has received us. He has welcomed us. He has embraced us. We are His. We are His beloved. It is He who has given us the heart of repentance. It's He who's given us the heart of faith to believe in the gospel, to, to uh, to, have, to have this true of us, John 1, 12, to all who did receive Him, he, uh, to all who believe in His name, He gave the right to become what? Say it. Children of God. He gave the right for us to become children of God. That's the reality. We are His children, and part of the reality of the discipline, the hardships in our life starts with an understanding, it must start with, it must stay with, it must end with a sense of God's discipline all, all begins and, and comes out of this, this depth of significant love. And we could go all sorts of places in Scripture to consider the steadfast love of God towards us. You start way back in the Old Testament to work, I'll do a biblical theology of the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. But but let me share with you this passage that you all know very well, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate you if you are his son. Nothing can separate you if you are his daughter. He who adopted you as his own will keep you until that final day. Amid all the sorrows, amid all the pains, amid all the tribulations and persecutions and famines or nakedness or peril or sword, all those things that come right before Romans 8, 38 and 39, all those things stands almighty, holy, omnipotent, um, omniscient, glorious God who is for you. He's with you. He's never apart from you. He's walking with you. He's upholding you, and he's keeping you. Amid your sorrows, amid the struggles, amid the hardship, he is for you. He's walking with you. If you we're listening to the parenting seminar we did earlier this spring on Wednesday nights. You would have heard and, and gloried in what I believe to be an example of the kind of heavenly father uh, love that uh, he has for his children. In that seminar, we focused on the vital foundational nature of your child knowing, your child knowing as a, as a parent, your child knowing that they are absolutely loved no matter what. Loved. I mean, we know as parents, we know the temptation that we have to, you know, the challenges are felt love. But, but we spoke about the fact that, that our children, our kids, need to know that they're absolutely loved. Not just in the little houses, not just in houses in specific, but in this church family. To know that they are loved 
no matter what. This is the kind of love that a godly parent, again, has for their child because it patterns itself after the kind of love the father has for us. This is a love that understands the struggles of a child. This is a love that understands the immaturity of a child. This is a love that, that understands the psychological, physiological, and sociological makeup of a child and cares for them in an understanding, lovingly faithful manner. This is the love of God for you and me. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're prone to sin. He knows we're prone to thinking wrongly about Him. We, he knows that we act out from time to time. He knows uh, that we, we again, um, uh, knows all the depths of our sorrows, all, all the depths of our questions and all that. He knows the depths of our very unique and specific difficulties and our tendencies and oh, how He loves us. He loves us. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 139, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways, good and bad, up and down, aren't we? Up and down, in and out. We're all over the place. We're, we're fickle as fickle can be. He knows all of it. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. He knows all about us. He does not lean away from us. He leans into us in love, in holy love. He lays his hand upon us as a loving Heavenly Father. There is no greater safety that we can experience as humans to know that we are loved by holy God to know that we're fully known and yet, and yet still fully and eternally and infinitely loved by God. Oh, if you say if he only knew this, well, he, he does know that. And in Christ, he has made a way. He has demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Even though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and over and over and over again. If, if you were listening again to the parenting sessions, you would have heard that our children also need to know they're always, 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 always safe with us as parents and in this church family. With all their warts, all their sin, all their humanity, all their, you know, running around and, and hanging on stuff and uh, uh, enough that we put notes in different places and stuff like that, but the, to know that they're safe with us. They're safe with all, all their stuff because it reflects the kind of safety that we have with God, the Father who loves us steadfastly. These are glorious truths that we cling to from God's Word amid all that comes our way in this life. Truly, nothing can separate us from His love. Listen again, our God, if, if, if you leave just, just with, with these words, I would be very happy. Our God is for us. Our God loves us. Our God will never leave us nor forsake us. He does not grow weary of you. He's patient. He's kind with us. He keeps us all at times. His anger has been fully spent on Christ. No more wrath remains for us. No more condemnation. Only life. Only more hope. Only more grace. Only more peace. Only more joy. Only more satisfaction. All stemming from the safe confines of the love of God that knows no bounds. Now there's an old hymn that goes like this. 
The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. Well, the guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. See, the love and the pardon and the safety all there. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That's the love of God for you. Greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Do you know that God loves you? Amid your pain? Now, it'd be worth landing on that this morning and just kind of reveling in that and singing some songs. But we need to move on and consider now that we have just just touched on the tip of the iceberg of the love of God towards us. Now we need to consider another aspect of his loving heart towards us. An aspect that both the author of Proverbs and the author of Hebrews speaks of as it relates to the hardships experienced by the sons and daughters of God who are loved very much, you and I, this morning. What is it that God knows about our hardships? How is it that He teaches us about our hardships? Are, are they just unfortunate occurrences in this world? Or is it the result of our sin? Is it the result of someone else's sin against us? It, it's true that hardships may come due to circumstances of our own sinful choices or the sinful choices of others. And they may come at us due to enemies persecuting us unjustly. They may come due to the general brokenness of the world. There's all sorts of reasons why they come at us and many things we don't know and we're not going to know. But for the child of God, those loved by the God of eternity, set apart for His glory, that we might know Him and become more like Him and to enjoy Him now and forever, no matter how it is that the hardships come, in the path of our walk with God, all of them are allowed or given by our infinitely loving and eternally wise, unchanging Father to discipline the one He loves. So not only are we loved by God, but I want to move to we are also disciplined by God. And here we need to just stop and consider how it is we view discipline. Positive or negative? The Greek word for discipline here is not the one that is like um, gymnazo. It is, it is actually speaking of a, a child's training. So the definition is this. It's the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, and instruction. That's the primary meaning for that specific word in our specific text and in other, some other texts as well. Now, if you're like the majority of people, when you think about discipline, what you think generally is that you have to discipline somebody. You have to correct them, right? And it's just like they need to be disciplined. They need to be corrected. Something needs to be altered in their life, which is true, but, but there's, there's, a, there's that negative aspect to it. So we discipline our kids. 
Um, or we uh, are disciplined at work. It's, it's, not, it's not a positive thought. This is not where all the discipline rests, is in that definition. This is only where some of it rests. A, a godly father or mother is one who has created a place where the child knows that they're loved, the child knows that they're safe with them, and the child is being given grace to grow patiently in wisdom and godly action through gracious training, guidance, and development. Slowly, steadily, in a loving environment where there is grace to be had and grace to be enjoyed and where there's patience and safety at all times. Sometimes the training does, of course, include the correction of some ongoing disobedience that needs to be rooted out. They, they are to be held account, and they are disciplined with love and safety and provision to prune that which is unfruitful in their lives so that the tree of life can become healthier. Their, their, their life can become more God-pleasing. This godly parent does not exasperate his child so that they don't grow discouraged because, um, because God the Father doesn't exasperate us. Rather, He lovingly and carefully and wisely prunes that which is unhealthy in our life so that we can grow to be healthier. Can you see that this discipline that is being spoken of here, and actually the discipline that should be at work in our families and in this church, is one of guidance and training that's undergirded by deep and abiding love and safety knowing that we are the children of God. Consider the actions of church discipline for a moment. We, heard, we hear the words church discipline, and we immediately see it as a negative construct, right? A, a lens uh, that accounted being equated with real-life experiences of many in which authoritarian leaders can tend to control the church in a way that they desire and to exert authority wrongly and causing significant damage along the way. And, and it is it is gross. But what the vast majority of church discipline really is, we're, we're doing all the time with one another. Communicating in love and safety. We care for one another enough to come alongside one another and remind of the gospel, the way that we've talked about it in, in, a, in, in a way about discipleship, about discipling. It's helping someone move towards Christ. It's, it's help, helping them move a little bit towards Christ. And it's, it's us being helped ourselves to move towards Christ. That is the discipline that is being spoken of here. So communicating in love and safety. We come alongside each other. We remind of the need to walk in obedience to Christ. We, we sometimes need to bring correction, never to exasperate, but to bring life patiently uh, with a, a person that they might regain their hope in God. And, and again, it's a training and a guiding, and it's, it's based in love and affection. And, and yes, sometimes, very sadly, sometimes a man or woman might choose to depart from God and his people. They, they walk in unrepentant, flagrant sin. And so doing, bring about a sense that the Apostle John would say they departed from us. They were, they were never part of us. They never really truly 
new, the saving faith, because they're just, they're just loving sin. And if we love sin, the Apostle John's pretty clear about whose father you are, whose father is yours. This is the life of the church. When, when someone gets to that place in church discipline, which is the very end, it's not the very end, it might be the very end, but we pray that it's not the very end. It's, it's a, even, even in the pursuit of a, of a, a, a person who has gone through um, such flagrant, unrepentant sin, we might communicate in a certain way to them, but not harshly. We're, we're going to communicate in a loving, gracious manner to call them back Call them back, pleading, come to the Father, come to Jesus, and, and f- ask for forgiveness, and, and you will be set free. You will be reconciled to God. There's that appeal, and it's all found in the love and nurture of God. When Proverbs or Hebrews is speaking of God's discipline, it's primarily meant as something that He does in our lives to produce endurance. And often that is through hardships. He trains us. He guides us. He disciples us in order to conform us to the image of Jesus, to strengthen us, to deepen our faith, to trust in the giver of life, therefore finding real life in Him, like we talked about last week, to, to, to come to the end of ourselves a little bit more, to, to find real love in God, though He truly does love us. And other things that I place my hope in are, are moving away because He is my soul, hope, real satisfaction, real joy with no Regrets. Consider the words of Paul in Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking to children of God, right? Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, beauty, right? Rejoicing in the glory of God. We are his. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, our hardships, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance, well, endurance produces character, and character produces that thing that we want so badly, and that is hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Sufferings aren't a threat to the love of God. They point us to the love of God. The, the discipline in view disciples us and builds us into the character that God intends to work in us and where there's deep peace and rest and trust in Him is found. It's where there is a true, real denying of ourself, uh, uh, coming, uh, bearing our cross and following Him, clinging to the beauty and glory and provision of the loving Father. That's the lens which we are to view our hardships, and it's very difficult to view our hardships through that lens. But as we consider Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority and the power of the Word of God, the effectiveness of the Word of God, that will happen. One common question that we have when dealing with hardship is, is why? What's the purpose? If I knew the purpose, it might be easier to endure. I mean, maybe, maybe not whether or not you agree the purpose is worth it or not, right? If these, these verses that we come to don't, don't give the precise answer that we are looking for when we ask the question why, um, but what we come to know throughout Scripture is that no suffering for the follower of Christ is pointless. 
that the problem of evil and suffering and the sovereign purposes and goodness of God are not going to be answered here this morning uh, in, the, in the remaining few moments that we have. But, but what we can come to is to know the God who is for us, the God who loves us, the God who has called us His sons and daughters, who is good and great. He is holy and He is righteous in all He does. And evil in this world taking place under His sovereign watchful good eye does not eliminate the reality of His existence. It does not eliminate the reality of His goodness or His sovereignty, as many would conclude when facing the difficult situations of utter evil. What the quandary does leave us with is a choice. It's, it's a choice to deny or despise the Lord, as, as both Proverbs and Hebrews speaks of, or a choice to place your hands over your mouth and in tears and sorrow, real tears, real sorrow, lay your weary head on the sovereign God who loves you infinitely and who will one day make all things right. For the one who chooses to believe that God is trustworthy in his love and in his promises through the, the, the reasons for his allowance of evil in this world remaining a mystery still, we're guided by the Lord to know him and to be known to share His holiness is the way the book of Hebrews speaks about it. We've we been made more into the image of Christ. And if you know that you are loved, and if you know that you're safe as His son and daughter, then you can trust the Lord that He has the best intentions for you and that the hardship in your life, among any number of reasons that we may or may never understand, is meant at least partially to make you more like Him in holiness and to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness He speaks of. When God guides us, when He trains us, when He disciples us or disciplines us, and I'm saying that all together as like the same definition almost, his son, as His sons and daughters, it's like a plow cutting into the dirt, turning out rocks. So the goal is not to damage the ground, but to do what is necessary to produce a wonderful harvest. In the case of God's discipline, it's meant to produce increasing righteousness that will lead to peace and joy in the kingdom. And on account of these things, the author of Hebrews says, don't think lightly of the Lord's discipline. The father in Proverbs says to his son, don't disregard it, don't despise it, because he is for you. In our pain, we feel as though he's left, but in his wise providence, he's very near and is working in us a glory that we can not quite grasp and understand. And he will keep us until that final day when all the suffering will not be worth comparing to the glory which will be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. A few weeks ago, I was reminded of this glorious passage in a text conversation with Tom Heffernan. Now, while there's much pain and sorrow and many unanswered questions and that situation that he and Nancy are walking through together, he left his communication with me while I was with my dad dying. He said this, he said, I don't understand this, 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 but what I do know is this, that I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. The questions remain, the difficulties increase, but their trust and hope in God is ever deepening and, and will one day be brought to full fruition. For the unhindered presence of their loving God where no more hardships exist. And that's true for them, and that's true for you this morning. 
Fact is, weariness sets in when we forget the Father's perfectly loving nature towards us. He's not like a human father, as good as a human father might be. He is infinitely better, and he never, ever fails. The, the truth is, we are his, and he is ours. And, and in Christ, as his sons and daughters, we can be in no greater favor with him than we are having the full righteousness of Christ being given to us. And that's true forever. That's true today, and that's true for tomorrow, and that's true for generations and eternity. If, you, if, if all you see is a God who's going to teach you a lesson maybe even like your father did, or your husband did, or your authoritarian pastor did, well, weariness and dread and deadness and desiring to escape is totally understandable. But if you know by the Word of God and His love demonstrated on the cross of Christ for you, giving His best gift to have you, to adopt you, to, to save you, to adopt you, to protect you, to keep you, to produce Christ-likeness in you, and holiness in you, and the peaceful fruit of righteousness in you, and to give you your inheritance, well, then might you be able to trust the goodness and lovingness, loving kindness of that Father on your behalf? You, as He disciplines us, as He trains us as he moves us through sorrow to sorrow to sorrow until that day we finally see him. Life is not all sorrow, but it's certainly made up of many hardships. And God is for you and he's with you along the way and he will present you blameless with great joy on that final day. There is hope for today. There's hope that he has something good for you in his plan. There's hope that there's something good and, uh, in, in his difficult providence no matter whether you can perceive the meaning currently or not. There's good for you even in the pain, and there's a very, very good reason to bury your head in his chest with sighing and weeping and utter trust in his character and personal love when the pain comes. encourage you in your sorrow, in your struggles, in your whatever, to pick this book up at some point. We don't have it out there. You'd have to get it on Amazon or whatever. It's called When God Weeps. And we don't really have time necessarily to read this, but, but I, I felt like, I just feel like it's like super important, so I'll stop talking and read. When you, this is Johnny... Erickson Tata, who is speaking here, and she's gone through significant suffering. She says, when your heart is being wrung out like a sponge, an orderly list of 16 good biblical reasons as to why this is happening can sting like salt in a wound. You don't stop the bleeding that way. A checklist may be okay when you're looking at your suffering in a rearview mirror, but when you're hurting in the present tense, let me explain why this is happening, is not always livable. Answers, no matter how good they are, cannot be the coup de grace. Pure, purified faith is never an end in itself. It culminates in God. Stronger character is character made muscular, not for its sake, but God's. A, a livelier hope is more spirited because of its focus on the Lord. To forget this is to tarnish faith, weaken character, and deflate hope. If you have these qualities existing and growing in you, then it means that knowing our Lord Jesus Christ has not made your lives either complacent or unproductive, 2 Peter 1.8. We must never distance the Bible's answers from God. 
The problem of suffering is not about something, but it's about someone. It follows that the answer must not be something, but someone. Knowing our Lord Jesus Christ is keeping your eye on the sculptor, not on the suffering or even suffering's benefits. Now, besides, answers are for the head. They, they don't always reach the problem where it hurts, in the gut and in the heart. When a person is sorely suffering, people are like hurting children, looking up into the faces of their parents, crying and asking, Daddy, why? Those children don't want explanations, answers, or reasons why. They want their daddy to pick them up, pat them on the backs, and reassure them that everything's going to be okay, that they're loved, and that they're safe. Our heartfelt plea is for assurance, fatherly assurance that there is an order to reality that far transcends our problems, that somehow everything will be okay. And we know by the gospel that everything one day will be okay. And it can be okay today amid our sorrow. We amble on along our philosophical path and then bam, get hit with suffering. No longer is our fundamental view of life providing a sense of meaning or a sense of security in our world. Suffering has not only rocked the boat, it's capsized it. We need assurance that the world is not splitting apart at the seams. We need to know we aren't going to fizzle into a zillion atomic particles and go spinning off in space. We need to be reassured that the world, the universe, is not in nightmarish chaos, or the church for that matter, but the orderly and stable, but it's orderly and stable. God must be at the center of things. He must be in the center of our suffering. What's more, he must be daddy, personal and compassionate. This is our cry. God, like a father, doesn't just give advice. He gives himself. He becomes the husband to the grieving widow. He becomes the comforter to the barren woman. He becomes the father of the orphan. He becomes the bridegroom to the single person. He's the healer of the sick. He's the wonderful counselor to the confused and depressed. This is, this is what you do when someone you love is in anguish. You respond to the plea of their heart by giving them your heart. If you are the one, capital one, at the center of the universe, holding it together by the word of your own power, if everything moves, breathes, and has its being in you, you can do no more than give yourself. And it's the only answer that ultimately matters. And that's what God has done for us. There is grace to endure the hardships we face in this life as we place our trust in the incontestable love and faithfulness of God for us. 